This episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge is sponsored by SeatBoost, an airline solution and technology platform that maximizes ancillary revenue by selling upgrades for expiring seat inventory. Visit SeatBoost.com slash Airline Weekly to discover how they can help boost ancillary revenue. That's S-E-A-T-B-O-O-S-T dot com slash Airline Weekly. We've talked about South African Airways in recent shows, but as we would with any sick patient, we're going to check in often. And in this episode, we'll do just that. The news out of Johannesburg is increasingly miserable. Seth, I'll get right to it. Are we witnessing the death of an airline? Eh, Probably not. The problems at SAA are many. Poor geography, local competition, and overseas competition, an out-of-date fleet, powerful unions, expensive airports, but they do have one thing going for them. SAA is government-backed. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly, and joining me is our resident airline shaman, Seth Kaplan. He's also (laughs) also the managing partner of Airline Weekly. We're going to talk about what it will take to heal South African Airways. Plus, we'll check in on Cebu Pacific, an airline that continues to impress us. Air India is up for grabs. Kenya Airways sees a silver lining. And what happens if an airport never opens? All that and more in the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. And first of all, Seth, you're joining us joining us from where today? The office furniture section of an office depot in Fort Lauderdale. It's actually pretty comfortable back here. And how did you wind up there? <laughs> well, we were flying back from Fort Lauderdale to Washington up to Reagan National. Um, my, my wife and, and young daughter and I, after spending the holiday down here, Got to the airport today and realized we had left uh, the stroller back at uh, my mother-in-law and father-in-law's house um so and just sort of after considering various ways you know, shipping it up and everything it just the, the sort of cheapest and easiest thing to do was to have my father-in-law drive it back to me at the airport but to do that i had to not make the flight that we were supposed to go on which is you know running on time wrong day for a flight to be on time so i rolled on to the next flight and they they went and then i had to scramble to figure out um, how to how to do this, and what made sense was to run over to this office depot and buy um, a, a a headset and just just do it here. And uh, as I said, it's it's actually a rather I could I could sit in a different comfortable uh, chair for every question of the show if I wanted. Or I think I'll uh, not tempt fate and stay in one place. And what airline are you taking back to DC? <laughs> I'm I'm on JetBlue today. Well, JetBlue is doing considerably better than South African Airways, who (laughs) finally published published, uh, financials for the fiscal year ending March 2017. You heard that correctly. The results weren't good and included a $320 million net loss and an operating profit margin of negative 9%. For the fourth straight fiscal year, revenues were stagnant while costs increase. Seth, what's the biggest challenge facing this airline? Well, probably that revenues were stagnant while costs are increasing, right? But if you want me to be a little more specific, yeah, it's it's all happening in a rather dramatic way. Cost, operating costs up 5% despite 
less flying, 2% fewer uh, ASKs. Um, and, and a lot of it is the competitive environment. You know, foreign competitors, the usual suspects, you know, Gulf Airlines, Turkish Airlines, uh, and domestic competition. You know, you've got a, a uh, you know, rather healthy competitor, Comair, with its, uh, so, which is basically two airlines. It's, it's a British Airways franchisee, a full-service airline, and then a low-cost carrier, Kalula. You know, and, and Johannesburg is one of those out-of-the-way hubs in, in global terms, you know, down at the bottom of Africa. Of course, there are other airlines in the world that, that uh, you know, manage despite that kind of a challenge. But, uh, but you know, you have to be in, in a much better place to start than, uh, than this airline is. It has an old fleet of uh, four-engine 340s. Um, and as bad as things are, you know, Comair says that SAA gets unfair advantages. So Comair is suing SAA actually uh, take, saying that it's getting illegal uh, subsidies and uh, add it all up. This is an insolvent airline. You know, this is an airline that, you know, without another $700 million in, in uh, taxpayer handouts would not be in business. Of course, it does get those handouts, which is why when you asked me in, in the intro, is it, you know, are we seeing the death of it? Um, you know, likely, likely not. But uh, an airline that's in, in awful shape uh, by, by its own merits. You mentioned their old fleet. How dangerous is it the South African isn't taking advantage of the A350s or 787s like, say, Qantas, another airline with outlying geography? Yeah, or New Zealand or LATAM or you know, the other Southern Hemisphere airlines with, with, with some out-of-the-way hubs. Um, no, it, look, that's part of the vicious cycle, right? You know, it, it doesn't have the capital to go out and buy the best airplanes. Um, and so, uh, so, so the cycle continues, right? It is at least getting five um, A330-300s, which, which are, are rather uh, efficient aircraft. They don't have the longest range. Uh, there's only so much you can do with them. But you know, the operating economics are better than those of the 330-200s, which it has smaller planes that, uh, you know, Lot less seats, not so much less fuel burn. Not, not to mention, of course, the uh, the A340s. It has uh, A340-300s and uh, 600s. So, uh, so the the the, the new 330s um, or new to it 330s should help. Although it's going to take a lot more than that to save the airline. So, I think it's safe to say reform is needed. That's also easier said than done. Seth, what steps is this SAA taking? Yeah, well, they're uh, they they have their own low cost unit. Um, it's called Mango, um, and it actually earned a small profit in that most recent year that it reported, uh, the year to March um, 2017, through about a year ago. Uh, and, and sure enough, Mango is going to be taking responsibility for more domestic flying, which you know, seems to make sense, just, just a you know, better cost structure. And in tough domestic markets, that's, uh, that, that's what's necessary. SA is also looking for new partners. Um, Bloomberg uh, reported that Kenya Airways is, is uh, a potential partner, uh, notwithstanding the fact that Kenya is a, a Sky Team member, uh, SAA and Star Alliance, um, and, and it wants to deepen its cooperation, SAA does, with uh, its fellow uh, Star Alliance members as well. And it's just and it's trying to do some of the things that all airlines in, try, in trouble try to do, you know, renegotiating terms of you know, leases and, and, and of course, cutting, cutting costs where it can. The next airline I want to talk about is at the other end of the spectrum from SAA. It's not only one of the most profitable airline, it's one of the most profitable LCCs, which is usually pretty good company. In the Philippines, Cebu Pacific earned a 15% operating margin for all of 2017. Seth, where does that put them on the global earnings scoreboard? I'm looking at that right now to give you a precise answer. 
Yeah, the, the number 10 so far, I think, of everybody who's reported for all of 2017, which is almost everybody. Um, so that's, you know, you're, you're talking out of, I don't know, 75 airlines or something. Um, so it's it's right up there with the best of them. Uh, in case you're wondering who I'm looking at, uh, seems to be, this is all just looking quickly here, but Ryanair, Hawaiian, Allegiant, Copa, Alaska, Southwest, Wizair, AirAsia, and Spirit are those that uh, look to be above uh, Cebu. So, uh, so, yeah, no, this is an airline that's uh, it's doing very well. And by the way, they, you know, they're, they're 15% margin for uh, all of 2017 that you mentioned. That's down from 20% uh, a year earlier um, on a big spike in fuel cost, as was the case for a lot of airlines. The uh, fourth quarter margin was uh, 16%, that two down, uh, in that case, from uh, from 18% a year earlier. But um, if you paid close attention to those numbers, that actually sort of an improvement uh, toward the end of the year in terms of uh, stopping the uh, the declines. Uh, the decline in Q4 was less than uh, for the full year. Yeah, you know, it, it, this is an airline that flew actually uh, 2% less and uh, managed more more revenue um, in uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, that's partly because of capacity constraints at uh, Manila's airport. So uh, an airline with very low costs, but that also uh, also does it on both sides. Uh, strong, rather strong revenues too. How much of Cebu's success is its management, its business model, or just that it's in the right place at the right time? Well, yeah, I, mean, I think it's yes, yes, and yes. Right? I think you know most airlines that are doing that well. Usually, it's 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 some combination of of all of it. You know, you can you can manage to screw up a good situation. <laughs> you know, you can manage to improve a bad one. But usually, when you're one of the most uh, profitable airlines in the world, it's some combination of of uh, of luck and and uh, skill. And, and this is this is one that has all of it. And this is an airline. You know, I mean, look, they've made mistakes. So remarkable. I don't, you know, low cost long haul flying. We've had that conversation before. Always tough. And here's an airline that has tried it and and not succeeded with it. Tried sending A three thirties to to the the Middle East, you know, pulling back from Doha, Kuwait, Riyadh. Um, it, it is still flying to Sydney and actually going to add Melbourne uh, in Australia. So that uh, seemingly doing doing better than those Middle Eastern markets. But you know, when you can manage to make a pretty big um, mistake like going out and getting wide body jets and not having it work too well. And still be uh, a top ten airline in the world. Uh, that, that's that's a pretty sustainable business model. Speaking of exciting business models, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor, SeatBoost. SeatBoost combines a highly engaging mobile user experience with top-notch experiential marketing to sell upgrades and boost ancillary revenue. With SeatBoost, airlines gain robust data insights and maximize revenue on last-minute upgrade sales. Whether it's first class, business class, or premium economy upgrades, visit seatboost.com slash airlineweekly to discover how they can help boost ancillary revenue. Air India is a long-troubled government-backed airline, but the government apparently wants to give up the reins. It's asked for bids for a 76% stake in the airline. Seth, I've been poring over Airline Weekly's finances, and I'm wondering, should we buy Air India? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, it might not take too much cash, but we would have to uh, assume about eight billion dollars in debt. That's that's uh, one of the conditions of uh, of whoever um, whoever buys the airline. So uh, I don't know. You tell me if you're up for that. You know, look. What I do like is that at least apparently whoever gains control of the airline is going to get full management control. Um, so at least if 
the price is the price, but if somebody could do the math and then say, hey, then we're going to have this airline that has, has incredible potential if given, uh, the, you know, freedom to, to, to do some of the things it needs to do, then that's, then that's pretty interesting. I'd be more pessimistic if it were the opposite. If it's, well, it's cheap, but you know you're going to have all these all these shackles. Uh, so you know it remains to be seen. You know the, the devil, as they say, always in the details. Whether uh, the buyer would would truly have the that that kind of freedom to take this you know, highly unproductive company and do some of the things that need to be done. But you know if 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 they can, and if it's somebody you know who, who's just able to to, to absorb that kind of risk and and still be okay if not everything goes uh goes extraordinarily well right away there's there's yeah don't laugh i mean it's it's a messy messy airline but one with um it's a pretty interesting upside talk to me about air india express it's a subsidiary of air india and would be part of the deal uh, the unit is just 23 737s but judging by its terrific profit margin those seem to be some of the hardest working planes in the world yeah, seventeen uh, percent operating margin in the fiscal year to March two thousand seventeen. So, and there you see Air India kind of has something in common with uh, South African Airways, right? Which that they um, they don't report very punctually, um, and I don't know if that's just because you don't want to rush out numbers like uh, like the ones that that uh, they tend to report. But yeah, hey, I guess another parallel, I said Mango makes a little money for South African Airways. Uh, Air India Express makes a lot of money uh, for Air India. And that was pretty interesting. I mean, I, I was a little surprised, even though, sure, it's a low-cost airline in a market with, with all the uh, all the good that that one has for LCCs, you know, and we know that there are other LCCs, Indigo, you know, does very well. Their SpiceJet has turned itself around, is doing well. But yeah, it's that they clearly have managed to give that airline the, I'll use that word again, the freedom to do what it needs to do, that unit, and and make a lot of money. By the way, that 17% margin to uh, to March 2017, actually down from 26% a year earlier, uh, you know, which would put it, if it were its own airline, you know, up there with Ryanair. You know, you buy Air India, you do get that along with, uh, you know, with all, all the part that, of course, need more reform. Let's go back to Africa, where we've got another struggling airline, uh, Kenya Airways. But there are some signs of hope. In the final three quarters of 2017, the airline posted a 2% operating profit margin. Seth, is this the beginning of a turnaround? Yeah, or maybe the continuation of it. A lot of signs of hope for an airline that didn't, for which Hope seemed to be in very short supply uh, just a couple of years ago. Yeah, you mentioned a two percent operating margin. The net result uh, was 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 negative for that period, fifty nine million dollars uh, in net losses. But a lot of that was was uh, you know one off items that you know accounting items that are mostly behind it, thanks to the uh, restructuring that it's that it's gone through. Uh, look, Kenny Airways has has better geography than SAA, um, than South African, in terms of being positioned farther north uh, to capture some some connecting traffic flows. Geography more similar to uh, Ethiopian, which which uh, by all accounts and appearances is, is, a, is a rather successful airline. Kenya Airways suffered from uh, well, among other things, the volatility in, in, in its in its home market, you, you know, a lot of violence following an election uh, the, the, a couple of years ago, um, less of that following the most uh, the most recent election. And it's uh, it's 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 back in growth mode now and at least out some uh, some wide bodies to Turkish Airlines, Oman Air, taking them back and actually just about to launch land stops to New York JFK. Uh, it, it too, by the way, has a, a low cost unit, Jumbo Jet, which is um, the 
taken some uh, some Q four hundreds to serve uh, serve smaller markets in, in the region. But but yeah, no, an, an airline that is still has a long way to go. Its shares are way up, and that shows that investors are are uh, are buying the story way up year over year, although off their highs, uh, buying the story that this is uh, that this is an airline that's uh, that's reforming itself. I'm jumping around a bit here, but Israel's El Al got my attention. Here's an airline that's a bit of a dichotomy. It looks really good on paper. Tourism in Israel is booming. Its tech-driven economy continues to perform. El Al is adding 787s. It's recently added routes to Boston, San Francisco, and Miami. Cargo revenue is up. And yet, profits are meager. So I guess my question is this. Is it impossible to make any real money flying just six days a week? Difficult. For sure, yeah. You know, in an industry where um, uh, where productivity is so important, I mean, ask any low cost carrier, or not only low cost carriers. You know, how many hours are your airplanes in in the day in the air every day? And uh, they'll have an answer for that. And obviously, uh, you know, LL's number is going to be a lot lower than most because, uh, yeah, generally speaking, um, it, it it doesn't fly Friday night and Saturday. Uh, has has a, a low cost unit that that does, but um, but so that that's. It's unhelpful, but it's it's not the only thing that LL faces. I mean, uh, the, the the foreign competition in Israel compared to what it was just several years ago is really remarkable. The, the country uh, liberalized uh, air service and uh, just kind of a strategic change, welcomed uh, low cost carriers from from Europe and elsewhere, uh, and now you've got you know Ryanair, EasyJet, Wizz Air uh, is huge there, Wow Air coming all the way from uh, from Reykjavik uh, and other. Full service, you know, lot Polish, Hainan, Cathay Pacific, not to mention Aeroflot and Turkish Airlines, huge. Um, both of them kind of one stop to the world from from Tel Aviv. I lost an airline that uh, you know it's not a member of a global alliance, partly related to just you know regional politics. Uh, there are a lot of uh, short haul destinations it can't serve, and so that makes it less interesting to uh, to the alliances. Now look. That policy by the government to, to liberalize um, has been great for the country in terms of tourism. It's it's at you know, record levels, so it, it, it's it, it's a it's a trade off that the co- country is is uh, you know should be happy uh, with to have just all that increase in, in inbound tourism to Israel, even if it's bad for uh, for El Al. But the reality is, yeah, there's there's no question that it's uh, that it has been bad uh, for El Al. Add it all up and you're looking at, uh, well, for the fourth quarter, a negative uh, 6% operating margin and a, a $30 million net loss. Uh, for a whole year, for all of 2017, a, a small $6 million net profit, a, a 1% positive, uh, 1% operating margin. Uh, that was down from Five percent a year earlier, 2016, and as high as eight uh, percent in in 2015, which turned out to be the uh, the high water mark. So, uh, so yeah, no, an airline that it, you know had a few decent years and is back to struggling. Wanted to merge with there's an airline called Sundor, which is a um, uh, excuse me, Israel is what it wanted to buy to merge with uh, Sundor. That's the leisure subsidiary, the one that does fly seven days a week. But uh, competition authorities in Israel said that uh, that, that was anti-competitive, didn't allow uh, LL to do that. 
Dreamliners, Jason, are are, are helping uh, as 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 they and A350s are for a lot of airlines. It's an airline that had a uh, you know fairly outdated fleet, and uh, yeah, more seven eight sevens coming. So uh, so those are helping, as are hopefully those uh, those uh, new routes you you mentioned, certainly flying to uh, to markets where other airlines have have. Uh, have found success around the world. I want to close the show with one of the most bizarre stories in aviation in the past decade. And it's something we haven't talked about much on this show in all our 90 plus episodes. And that is Berlin's new airport, or should I say Berlin's perpetual construction site. Brandenburg Airport was supposed to open in 2011. We're well into 2018 and it's still not open. It doesn't sound like it's opening anytime soon. In fact, the CEO of Eurowings said recently it would be better to just tear it down and start over. Seth, was he serious or just frustrated? Well, other people have made that suggestion too, um, you know, somewhat seriously. I mean, at some point, it seems really wasteful to talk about. Here's an airport that, you know, if you look at it, it's built, you know, um, and, and the idea of, of just um, just starting over, gosh. But uh, on the other hand, at some point, it will cost more money to, you know, continue trying to fix this airport than it, than it would cost to, uh, to, to do it over. Uh, really remarkable. You mentioned, Jason, uh, 2011 originally. The projected open date. Uh, most recently, they've said late 2020. It's about two and a half years from now. Uh, and at this point, nobody believes you know any of these projections. Yeah, there's some good accounts out there of of, of what went wrong. Just just really um, really remarkable to to think that yeah that there is a chance. I mean that's possible, right? At some point they would they would make that decision. They're not there yet, but just 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 a, a huge embarrassment for Germany. You know the part of Germany where. You know, a lot of people thought that this would sort of be um, a, a, a symbol that that the East has really, you know, completed its uh, its emergence, not not living up to that. Berlin, by the way, Jason, um, is uh, is interesting just in air service terms. Also, I mean, this is a market. You know, it's, it's the capital of, of Europe's largest economy, and a huge population, uh, a, a a really nice city, you know, great place to visit, and yet um, air service that has has uh, has always just punched way below its its weight. I mean, if you think of how much you know transatlantic flying there is, let's say between you know North America and Europe, uh, I just punched this up. So uh, yeah, even in the sort of peak summer this summer, you know, one flight a day each on uh, Delta and United. Four flights a week on on uh, Air Canada, Air Canada Rouge that is, and that's it. You know, there's there's now that Air Berlin's gone, no European airlines uh, flying from from Berlin to the U.S. Um, you know, uh, Lufthansa picked up a lot of the like from Dusseldorf. You know, Eurowings flying and so forth, but not from Berlin. So it's it's just always been. Uh, I don't want to say a mystery. I mean, the, you know, the answer to all of this is that there's just there's just less demand in terms of corporate travel and all this. The you know, the, the economy punches below its weight. Uh, you know, a lot of government, a lot of people, and all that. Not not so much in terms of corporate traffic, but yeah, fascinating market for uh, for a lot of reasons. Certainly, the whole airport debacle, but also just uh, you know why is there as little service uh, to to Berlin from around the world as 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 there is? Really, really interesting. All right, we'll leave it right there. I'm sure we'll be back with another episode before the airport opens. In fact, uh, let's call it two weeks. <laughs> for Seth Kaplan, I'm Jason Cottrell. Thanks for spending some time with us in the Airline Weekly Lounge. This episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge was sponsored by SeatBoost. 
Visit SeatBoost.com slash Airline Weekly and discover how they can help boost ancillary revenue. That's S-E-A-T-B-O-O-S-T dot com slash Airline Weekly.